Welcome back to our series called The Complexity of Forgiveness. We've been looking in these last few weeks at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis and watching as he goes through a really intense season of betrayal in his life. Now, if you're new with us or you haven't watched the last couple weeks, I'll give you the very quick cliff notes. Week one, we talked about the backstory of betrayal, the dynamics in Joseph's family that led up to week two, a moment of betrayal, where last week, Pastor Larry helped us to unpack the gravity and depth and just hardship of what happens when the world comes against you and you are betrayed. And yet we know, if you've ever experienced a season of betrayal in your own life, the moment of betrayal is not the end of the story. In the same way that there's a backstory of betrayal, there are after effects of betrayal. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at Genesis chapter 39. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter 39 as we continue to look at the life of Joseph. And the truth is, even though betrayal happens in an instant, the effects of betrayal are often widespread and devastating for weeks or months or even years to come. You know, as I look at the life of Joseph, I see this played out in, in great effect as he's sold into slavery, betrayed, sent into Egypt, but that is just the beginning of his problems. Now, oftentimes when we look back at seasons of betrayal in our own lives, we, we look back at that moment, like we talked about last week, that moment of betrayal when the bomb is dropped on our lives, the gut check happens, the foundations of our lives are rocked to the core when the phone call hits or the conversation happens or the argument escalates and it feels like there's no turning back on the other side. Now, the truth is, on the other side of that moment, just like a bomb that's dropped, oftentimes there's shrapnel that comes at us, there's shockwaves that hit, there's fallout that happens, and our lives are negatively impacted for a long, long time after that moment of betrayal. In these last few months, for some reason, I've had a lot of conversations with people in our church who have experienced intense moments of betrayal. And people who call and say, Danny, I... I just heard that my wife wants to leave me. My marriage is over. People have said, Danny, I just found out about this, this affair that my spouse is happening, having, and I don't know what to do. Will you sit down? Can we talk about this? I feel like I've been betrayed, and I don't know how to pick up the pieces. And so we sit down. We, we grab coffee or talk on the phone in this season and, and start to unpack what happened. And in that initial meeting, we always talk about two things. And first, we talk about the betrayal moment. Right, the thing that is so raw, the, the conversation where everything came out and it just rocked them to their core in that moment. We talk about that moment. And second, we talk about the backstory, like we talked about two weeks ago here. We talk about everything that led up to that moment, all the warning signs, the things that they feel like they missed, the things they wish they would have done differently, the, the conversations and situations they wish they would have navigated in a different way to avoid the bomb that was dropped on them just a few days ago. And, and normally, kind of the, the conversation is so fresh that it ends there. And so as we start talking, I have to unpack for them that even though they feel like the worst is behind them, as we leave that table, they are about to enter into a season of the effects of betrayal on their lives that's probably going to be more widespread and more difficult than they even imagine. And if you've ever experienced betrayal in your life, you, you know that, that on the other side of betrayal, there are things that change in our lives that we never expected. Or you didn't expect that your relationships with your friends would change after your spouse treated you in that way, but they did. 
You didn't expect that your work life would change because of what happened to you at home, but it did. You didn't expect that these people are now going to be mad at these people, and there's going to be a custody battle, not just over your kids, but over your friendship groups and over the places you hung out, and everything in your life is changing, and your world is upside down on the other side of the moment that was the worst moment of your life. The truth is, as we walk into a season on the other side of betrayal. Every aspect of ourselves gets affected by what we experienced. Mentally, our our brains (laughs) stop working. They get caught in this loop where we keep looking back on everything that happened to us and trying to think of, I wish I would have done this differently. Or maybe they get caught in a loop as we look forward and say, I'm going to make these changes. I'm going to make these changes. I need to get this job. I need to do this. I need to move out of the state. And we're thinking and we're spinning and our minds never rest emotionally we just feel discouraged and depressed and weak and angry we go through all those cycles of grief where we feel that betrayal at the deepest level we want to deny it but we can't we we want to go back and change things but we can't we get angry but it doesn't do anything and we just end up in this cycle of emotions that can change in an instant in our lives as we're going through the stress on the other side of betrayal Even spiritually, a lot of times, we walk through that season. And sometimes we have this beautiful closeness to God. Other times we have this anger towards God. Other times we just feel numb to God. And we don't know how to relate because everything in our life is upside down and changing. If you're in a season in your life, even right now, where you're on the other side of betrayal and things are still hard, things are still changing, you keep wishing that this season would be over, but then another thing happens that reminds you that you're still in it, I'm hoping that that this sermon is going to encourage you today. Because as we look at the life of Joseph in Genesis 39 and 40 and 41 today, the question I want to ask of the text is, how do you keep your head up in a season when all you want to do is give up? How do you keep pressing forward when you just want to stop? How do you keep moving forward when all you want to do is curl up in a ball and fall asleep until this season's over, but you feel like the season has no end? And to do that, I want to look at Joseph's story, a man who experienced a lot of intense ups and downs on the other side of betrayal. You know, last week we, we picked up in, Joseph, in Joseph's life in Genesis 37 where we talked about how his brothers came against him. They wanted to murder him. They changed their mind. They threw him into a pit. They sold him off into slavery. And you kind of feel like, okay, that's the worst of it. But as we jump into chapter 39, we see that wasn't the worst of it. And now he's in a household in Egypt, and he's got to learn how to navigate life in this foreign land away from everyone. And then these allegations come against him, where someone says that he's sexually assaulted them, and it's totally untrue, but he gets thrown into prison for it. And then there's this hope that he's going to get out of prison, but the hope doesn't pan out, and he's languishing there for two whole years. And this is him on the other side of betrayal. So if you're in a season on the other side of betrayal yourself, let me give you permission today to kind of disconnect from your own story for a couple of minutes and be encouraged by someone else's story. Because sometimes it's a lot easier to see how God's working in someone else's life than to experience that in your own life. And so let's look at the life of Joseph together in Genesis chapter 39. The moral I think of the Joseph story in a lot of ways is what we see here in Genesis 39 verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. I think one of the things that we miss a lot of times in our own lives and we miss a lot of times in Joseph's life is just how many amazing things happen, prospering things happen in the season where it feels like everything's falling apart. 
Right? We read Joseph's life and we think about all these negative things that are happening to him. But the thing that I love about Joseph is that he is always rising to the top. Right? You put Joseph in a family, he rises to the top of that family. He becomes the favorite son. You stick Joseph in a pit, he gets out of that pit, right? You put Joseph in Potiphar's house, he rises to the top of Potiphar's house. He becomes the chief servant in the household and Potiphar entrusts him with everything. You throw Joseph in prison, he becomes the lead inmate in the prison and the warden is using Joseph to do everything in that place. Joseph is someone who no matter where you place him, he just keeps popping back up to the top of any dark scenario. As I was reading the Joseph story, I was thinking about this game we would play when I was a kid in the summer at the pool with those kickboards. Remember those kickboards where you'd like float and you kick across the pool? We used to take kickboards and we'd try to push them under the water and stand on them like surfboards and try to kind of keep our balance and surf the kickboards underwater. If you've never done it, you should try it once the pools open back up again. Uh, The reason it was fun is because these kickboards are so buoyant that they're pushing up so hard that they just keep throwing us off, especially when we're like 40 pound kids, right? And so we'd push the kickboard underwater, they'd shoot out of the water. We'd try to keep them under us, they'd shoot back out from under us. We'd take two or three kickboards, we'd try to push them all the way down to the bottom of the pool and stand on, on them as long as possible, but the kickboards were so buoyant, so floaty, that they would throw us off of them and just bob back up to the top again. And as I read the life of Joseph, I kept thinking, man, Joseph's like a kickboard. No matter how much you push him down, he just shoots to the top of any situation. Like I said, it's fun to look at Joseph's life because it's not our own lives, because that game is a really fun game unless you are the kickboard, right? And Joseph was the kickboard. He was the one who was pushed underwater, pushed underwater, pushed underwater. Right? It might be fun to watch somebody popping back up again, but if you're the person who feels like you keep having to pop back up again, you're probably someone who feels like every season of your life, you're at the top of the water just trying to gasp for breath between, before somebody tries to drown you again. And I think that's what we see primarily when we look at Joseph's story. We don't see him as the kickboard that's popping to the top. When we look at Joseph's story, we see, as somebody, we see him as somebody that the world just keeps trying to push down and push down and push down. Right, yes, it is true that Joseph rose to the top of his family. It is true that he rose to the top of the prison community. It is true that he rose to the top of Potiphar's household. But it is, it is equally true that Joseph was betrayed by his own family. It's equally true that Joseph was betrayed by a woman in his own household. It's equally true that Joseph was forgotten about by people who were supposed to be his friends in this prison system and help him get out on the other side. Joseph is simultaneously one who always rises to the top and the one who's always betrayed and pushed down to the bottom. If you're experiencing a kickboard season in your life and you feel like you just have to constantly rise to the top again because people are always pushing you down, then that's the Joseph story. And the truth is, in a season on the other side of betrayal, oftentimes we do become those kickboard people, right? We think, okay, my marriage is over, but I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to rise to the top. And then all of a sudden, your job falls apart. You're like, oh, no problem. I'm just going to rise to the top. And then your friends start leaving you. are like, oh, no problem. I'm going to get some new friends. And you can't find new friends, right? And we just keep trying to stay buoyant, but everything in us feels like we are drowning. As we look at Joseph's life in the scriptures, I want to encourage you, if you've got some time this week, to read through the story and and kind of disconnect it from your own story for a minute and see how you feel about the Joseph character in this story as you read Genesis chapter 39 and 40 and 41. 
Because as I tried to do that this week and thought, okay, what am I supposed to feel as I read Joseph's story from the outside? My heart went out to Joseph, and I was so excited to see how he thrived in all these different places. Now, I was looking at his story, and I was wondering, well, why is it that I love Joseph so much? Why is it that he's so encouraging to me? Why is it that he's a person that as I watch him go through these really hard things in his life, I'm cheering for him and saying, you got this, man. Just stick with it. You got this. Keep moving forward. And a couple of things that I see about Joseph that were so encouraging to me, number one, Joseph never complains. As he's thrown into a pit, as he's sold into slavery, as he's thrown into prison, as his friends forget about him, you don't see any inkling that Joseph is bitter. You don't see him complaining. You don't see him gossiping. You don't see him doing anything negative. It just seems like he's that kickboard. He just keeps floating back to the top again. There's something about watching Joseph watch, walk through intense seasons of difficulty without any negativity that, that encourages us. You know, we don't know for sure if Joseph was neg- never negative, but, but I do love that as we read this story, we, we don't sense any negativity. We just sense him keeping his head down, moving forward, and we see God continuing to serve him along the way. We see that Joseph never complains. And the second, I see that Joseph makes the most of every bad situation he finds himself in. You know, when he's thrown into that pit and sold into slavery and he moves into Potiphar's house, he doesn't give up in Potiphar's house. He excels there. He thrives there. Even when the allegations come against him, he's thrown into prison. He doesn't give up. He excels there. He thrives there. Joseph makes the most of every bad situation that the world deals him or that people deal him as they betray him over and over again. Joseph just keeps making the most of it and he keeps rising back to the top again. I picture Joseph just saying, okay, what's next? And going after it. The thing that encourages me the most as I look about the, at Joseph, it's not that he doesn't complain. It's not even that he makes the most of, situ- of every situation. But I love seeing the hand of God in Joseph's life as he walks through all the in- intensely difficult things that he walks through. And this is one thing that we often miss in our own lives because we're so caught up in our lives we don't see God at work. And this is the thing we often miss in Joseph's life because we're watching the external situations in his life go up and down and we don't see the hand of God at work. But Moses, as he writes this story for us and narrates Joseph's life, at every turn is showing us that God is at work in every angle of Joseph's life. And we see that very, at the very beginning of, of Genesis 39, Verse 2, I showed you that verse where it said, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. But even in Joseph's life, God was with him in such an intense and beautiful way that it says in verse 3 that the reason that Joseph rose to the top of Potiphar's household is that it says when his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. There's something about Joseph's faith that was external and contagious that somebody saw him as he navigated this hard situation and said, okay, God is definitely with this guy. There's something about him that's different. He deserves a shot because God was evidently with him. When Potiphar's wife comes against Joseph and tries to trap him with these allegations of sexual assault, and she says, Joseph, come to bed with me, he doesn't just say no. He doesn't say, no, I don't want to lose my job. He doesn't just say, no, it's wrong. He says in Genesis 39, verse 9, he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And for Joseph, his relationship with God was so deeply entrenched in his life that it helped affect every decision he made, whether it was decisions to do good or decisions not to do bad. He says, this is a question not about what I want to do. This is about what God wants to do in my life. 
Even when he goes into prison and he has an opportunity to interpret some dreams of some inmates there in prison and they say, we have this dream, we don't know how to interpret them. He gives glory to God. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? This is Genesis 40, verse 8. Tell me your dreams. Right? He gives glory to God. He gives praise to God. He says, God has the authority over these things. But hey, tell me, because God and I have this relationship that I can connect with him and maybe he can help me help you. Joseph does not give up on his faith as he walks through all these intensely difficult situations. Joseph is constantly aware of God. He's in partnership with God. He's in relationship with God. And his relationship with God affects every aspect of every negative thing that Joseph experiences. And Joseph is such a beautiful example in this text because he doesn't complain, because he makes the most of every situation, and because he has a beautiful, dynamic relationship with the Lord that allows him to keep his head up as he walks through all this. And if you've ever watched someone walk through a really difficult season in a beautiful way, you know how encouraging it is. I've talked to a few of you who are going through really hard seasons right now, and I'm so encouraged that every time I pick up the phone and we talk and I say, how are you doing? You say, it's really hard, but, but God's at work. Or you say, I don't know what God's doing in the midst of all this, but I trust he's doing something. Or you say, man, it's been hard, but at the same time, I've been so close to God in the midst of this. It's been beautiful. And I know that you feel like the kickboard and you don't feel like this is a good season and it's not a good season. But at the same time, I want to encourage you, if that's you, people around you are encouraged and affected and they're growing in their faith because of what they're seeing in you as you walk through this season. It's so beautiful to see how God grows and crafts someone's life as you look at them from the outside. But that doesn't change the fact that for you, if you're in that situation, you're the kickboard. You're the one who's pushed underwater. You're the one who has to go through all this. You're the one who keeps saying things like, God will provide, but inside you're thinking, I don't know if he will. You're the one who's saying, no, I'm trusting God right now, but inside you're thinking, I'm such a phony, I don't know if I'm trusting God at all. You're the one who says, I know God has a plan, but inside you're thinking, I don't know if he has a plan at all, because when you relate to God, you think, God, what are you doing here? God, why do you allow me to stay in this situation for so long? God, when will things get better? You read the Psalms and you resonate with the psalmist who cry out, How long, O oh Lord, will I be pushed to the bottom of this pool and held down by everyone when betrayal after betrayal after betrayal comes at me from every side? Right? It's encouraging to watch the life of someone like you or watch the life of someone like Joseph from the outside. But at the same time, it's hard. It's hard to be you. It's hard to be the person walking through the season after betrayal. And we see this as we look at Joseph's life. Because even though we see this happening in just a few chapters, for him, it's years, right? It's 17 years old when he's thrown. Joseph is 17 years old when he's thrown into the pit. And we see that he's not actually fully redeemed in his life and starting to move in a new direction for 13 years. And so this season that we read over three chapters is year after year of Joseph slogging through the slough of, of, of betrayal in his own life. And we, we see a, a lot of discouragement as we look through the lens of Joseph's life in this. Even as he goes to prison, we, we start reading the story, anticipating, okay, what God, what's God going to do next? And, and we see in chapter 40... Something happens that seems like, okay, maybe this is when Joseph's going to get his big break. He's in prison. He's got these inmates who are with him, and they say to him, Joseph, we had these dreams. Can you interpret these dreams? Joseph says, interpretations belong to God, but tell me, I'll ask God. And Joseph correctly interprets their dreams. 
And one of them ends up being executed in fulfillment of the dream he had. One of them ends up being restored back to Pharaoh's palace. And Joseph says to this man, as he's leaving the prison and going back to the palace, he says, don't forget about me when you get out. Right? I'm stuck here in this prison. Don't forget about me. When you get out, say a good word for me. Tell everyone how good I'm doing here. Help me get out of prison. But in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, we hear another gut check bomb drop in Joseph's life where it says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. In this moment that looked like it was going to be the clouds parting and Joseph moving into normal life again just became the beginning of another storm in his life. And now he's left in prison for two more years all alone when everyone in his life has left him and forgotten about him. Now, I think in terms of the aftermath of betrayal, this is the hardest season. And there's a chance that something happened to you a long time ago, maybe several months ago or even several years ago. And at first, it was the season where you're wrestling with God and you're trying to figure it out. And people are supporting you and they're bringing you groceries and they're texting you and they're praying for you and they're saying, I'm with you, right? And, and, and they eventually kind of went back to their normal lives and you're still in the season where life's still hard. You're trying to figure out how to be a single mom and your friends don't really want to bring you groceries anymore because it was a couple years ago when your spouse left you, right? And, and now you're in this place where you feel like you're alone and your life's still hard, but everyone's forgotten and now you're just trying to get navigate this new normal, but the effects, the late effects of the betrayal that went against you is still pressing down upon you. And now you're lonely, you're isolated, you're sheltering in place, and it feels like everyone's forgotten about you. And you can even turn to God and say, God, have, have you forgotten about me? God, I was praying for years that you'd bring me out of this situation. Is this my normal now? Is this what I'm going to go through for the next decade or several decades of my life? God, please, are you still there? Are you still listening to me? And we look at Joseph's life, and this is the moment that we feel that despair when everything's falling apart around him. But at the same time, as we look at Joseph's life, we know that there's this thread throughout the whole thing that, that God always prospers him. Right? God always rises him to the top. God always gives him an out. God always helps him succeed. And so even as we're reading the story, this is almost the moment where we're watching Joseph saying, get up, get up, you got this. God's got something in store for you. Something's going to happen. And so if we keep reading, we see that two years later, God finally starts to thaw the ice in Joseph's wintry life again. When Pharaoh in chapter 41 has some dreams and is telling everyone, I don't know who can interpret my dreams. And in, in verse 9 of Genesis 41, the chief cupbearer who was in prison with Joseph when the dreams were interpreted says to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And oh, I remember there was a guy in prison who interprets dreams. I was supposed to get him out. I forgot two years ago. Today, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And it feels like a tiny sliver of a, a ray of sunshine into Joseph's dark life, but this is everything. This is the crack that eventually breaks the dam open in Joseph's life when this man says, today, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And if we've read this story from chapter 37 onward, we know that this reminder is not a coincidence. We know that it's not like, oh, bonehead move, right? We know that this reminder is a, a reminder from the hand of God, right? It's the same, the same person reminded the chief cupbearer was the same person who showed the warden that Joseph was honorable. It's the same person who showed 
Potiphar, that Joseph could rise to the top. It was the same God who helped Joseph navigate through every dark season of his life. Two years after the world forgot Joseph, God opens the heart of this chief cupbearer and says, okay, now is my time to bring out Joseph to this next stage of growth that I have for him. You know, if you're going through a hard season, there's a chance that the verse that always is coming back to your mind that you're trying to cling to is a really famous one in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 38. We're going to turn there together. If you have Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 8 because this is what we have to cling to as we read a story like Joseph's and we trust that the same God who is over Joseph is the God who is intensely involved in your own life, a God who wants to make the best of every bad situation. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Right, if you're going through a hard season, you probably already memorized this, but if you haven't, memorize it now. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right, if you've heard that verse before, that's probably something you've internalized. Say, you know what? Things are good. Things are hard, but God is working. Things are hard, but God's doing something. I know this is terrible. People have meant evil things for me, but God's going to do something here. And we take this verse and we say, I need to hold on to this thing because we need to trust that the moral of the Joseph story is that God is always working. God always has a plan. God is always going to turn any hardship in your life into something better in your life. And at the same time, this verse kind of feels like a bumper sticker. It feels like a little fortune cookie platitude you stick on your fridge, and there's not a lot of teeth in it sometimes when you're going through something really hard. So I wanted to read you what happens after this verse in Romans 8, because Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, just keeps laying it on thick how amazing it is to be in relationship with God and trusting that he makes good things happen out of every bad situation. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that they might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Then he says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with, along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those, those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Then who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we faith death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's almost like Paul could look back and see the whole Joseph story and say, if that is your life, you need to understand that if you know Jesus, he is powerfully working in every situation you can ever step into and anything that will ever happen to you, he will use that for your good and his glory. 
doesn't matter how hard life gets. It doesn't matter how despairing life looks. It doesn't matter how wrecked your life is becoming. God is still at work. But the truth is, as we look at the Joseph story, we see that no matter how often the world tries to push you down, God is always there to lift you back up again. The reason you feel like a kickboard is because people are pushing you underwater and life is pushing you under the water and we know you feel like you are drowning today. But the truth is, if you're a kickboard, it's because God has infused his life in you and he wants to raise you back into the place he wants you to be in. As we look at the Joseph story over the next few weeks, we'll see that God's plan was to do some amazing, beautiful things, to set up his entire people for success, to save a people from starvation and famine, to rise Joseph to the very top of an entire country. God does some amazing things from the pit of despair in Joseph's life up into the rafters of hope that God brings him to. And so if you are in a season of the pit of despair, Keep walking through this season. Keep trusting that God is working in your life in a magnificent way because the truth is that God sees you. He loves you. He has plans for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you. He has a hope and a future for you. And he will cause all things that step into your life, whether it's good or bad or anything at all, God will work all things together for your good and his glory as you cling to him. I want to pray for us as we move into worship today. If you are a person who you are far from God, you don't know God, maybe this is a time for you to cling to him, right? If you feel like the world is pushing you down here at the bottom of the pool and you can't pop back up again, cling to Jesus. Let him be your life raft and he will pop you out of the waters of despair. Maybe this is a time for you to trust in him for the first time as we pray. Let me pray for us. And if you need to trust in Jesus right now, do that as we pray. Let's pray. God, I pray for anyone who's in a season right now where they feel like they're stuck at the bottom of a pool with no air or energy to get air. We pray that you would show up and you would, in your grace, rise them to the top again. And I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, who are drowning in this pool of life, that you would show them that you are that life raft that has come for them, that they can cling to Jesus and he will give them life, give them breath, give them energy that he will be their portion as they cling to him, that you will rescue them from their own pits of despair. And thank you for this example in the scriptures of a man who kept finding himself betrayed by the world, kept finding himself in pits, but kept finding you rising him to the top again. And pray for anyone who needs you today, that they would cling to you. For all of us, as we go through the hardships of life, that you would teach us what it means to stay clinging to you because we know that there's not enough energy in ourselves to stay at the surface. But we need you to be that kickboard. We need you to be that life jacket. We need to cling to you to survive this world and enter the next unscathed. We need you. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would be there for us. And that we'd be aware of your presence with us in the darkest moments of our lives. And that you and your grace and your time would rise us to the surface again. And that you'd give us the courage and the energy to keep on keeping on when it feels like we're drowning in a storm. Let us know that you are the one who can calm the seas. You are the one who can walk with us through the storms of life and keep our heads above water. We pray all this in your name. Amen.